Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Westminster is no stranger to scandal, but the last few weeks have unleashed an avalanche of them. The 48-year-old has been found guilty by a jury at Southwark Crown Court of sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy 14 years ago. Any word for your victim, Mr Khan? The Conservative Party has acted swiftly. Without waiting to find out what sentence Mr Khan will receive, they have expelled him from the party with immediate effect. This is front page of the Daily Mail uh, by this MP, David Warburton. Three women have made allegations against him. There's also an allegation of cocaine taking. It was a moment of madness, said Neil Parrish. Well, two moments of madness, in fact, when he admits that he was watching pornography on his mobile phone in the House of Commons. Mr Speaker, 56 members of this House are under investigation for sexual misconduct, and that includes three cabinet ministers. We've got to sort out Parliament. Misogyny, misconduct and Me Too. The Houses of Parliament have seen it all before. But when one MP sat in the Commons googling tractors, even the most unshockable, scandal-hardened politicians were up in arms. The public were appalled. And the question that kept being asked was, what is wrong with Westminster? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, porn in Parliament. Hi, I'm Alice Thompson and I am a columnist and interviewer on The Times. Alice, you've been a long time spectator in in the Westminster Village. You've seen a lot of big events unfold in Parliament. Take us to a particular day in the chamber when the most recent scandal unfolded. Order, order. The clerk well, it could have been any afternoon in Westminster, really. The private bill set down for consideration this day. With the sun streaming through the windows of the chamber onto the green benches. There would have been some school children probably in the gallery and the men in tights guarding the door. Hi. 
I think the eyes out, thank goodness for the chair of Ways and Means. MPs would have been half listening to a debate by a junior minister while flicking through their phone, answering constituents' letters, maybe doing a bit of shopping. I'd like to move that this House agrees with the Lords in their amendments. And this was the moment when two female MPs saw an MP on their own side, a male MP, just in front of them, flicking through porn. Now, that's tricky, but even more tricky when you think where they all were. I mean, that's the remarkable part. You know, you don't expect a colleague to be looking at porn at work, full stop, but to be doing it in the chamber. I mean, just remind us of that particular space. You've you've sat in the press gallery many a time. What does it feel like when you're there? The first time you go, there is a sense of awe because you do really feel that, that that history you can see Winston Churchill you can see Palmerston you can you can see I mean mainly men but standing at the dispatch box at times of war times of crisis this house now demands and this is the choice before us if this house now demands that at this moment faced with this threat from this regime that British troops are pulled back that we turn away at the point of reckoning, and this is what it means, what then? What will Saddam feel, strengthened beyond measure? What will the other states who tyrannise their people, the terrorists who threaten our existence, what will they take from that? This is the time for this House, not just this government or indeed this Prime Minister, but for this House to give a lead, to show at the moment of decision that we have the courage to do the right thing. I beg to move the motion. We go back to Oliver Cromwell. It's a different building, but it's the same sense that that this is where power lies. It's where it resides, not in the House of Lords, in the House of Commons, not really in the end, in Downing Street. Downing Street's actually all sort of wallpaper and, you know, nice prints, whereas this is, it's made of oak, of English oak, and it does feel a very hallowed place in many ways. It almost looks like a church, actually. It's got very high ceilings. And then the modern side of it is all the cameras everywhere. So that's the extraordinary thing. You're, you're being picked up by cameras, whatever you do. So the idea that you'd sit there in the middle of a debate which will influence the, the laws of the land and you'd sit there scrolling through porn. It just seems extraordinary because it's so blatant and it does seem very shocking. And it was particularly shocking because it came in a fortnight of other stories that were sort of pointing quite clearly at a trend of misogyny or sexism in Parliament. Talk us through some of the recent scandals. Boris Johnson has condemned a Mail on Sunday article that claimed Labour's deputy leader, Angela Rayner, tried to distract him in the House of Commons by crossing and uncrossing her legs. The most notable scandal, I think, recently has been the Angela Rayner issue. The story has sparked a heated debate about sexism in Parliament. So she is deputy leader of the Labour Party. And she was accused of being like Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct. And when she sat on the front bench and answered Boris Johnson, she was being accused of somehow crossing and uncrossing her legs seductively and putting 
the Prime Minister off his stride. And that was in the Mail on Sunday, a national newspaper. You look at Angela Rayner and she's, she always looks immaculate. She's always very well briefed. She does her job, you know, whether you're Labour or Tory, she does it admirably in many ways. She's constantly there. She's a workaholic. And I just kept looking back at that picture with Jacob Rees-Mogg when he was lying on the front bench. And it was late at night during the Brexit debate. And I thought no woman would lie on a bench. They wouldn't be able to. They'd be too frightened and too nervous that they would be called up. And yet he was able to get away with it. I mean, the, the, the person that article should really have been pointing to was Boris Johnson, if he's so easily distracted. Well, really, what the Tory MPs were accusing their own prime minister of was upskirting because they were saying he can't stop looking up her legs. And that's appalling. <laughs> And it also came at a time where we've just had a series of reports about the number of cases of potential sexual assault in some cases, but also harassment across Parliament. I mean, tell us about some of the other stories that have emerged in the last few weeks. So there have been several MPs. We don't actually know the number yet, but they are looking into, it was thought it was 56. Now they think it's fewer. It could be as few as 15, but that's a lot. And they have been accused of sexual harassment, some more serious than others. But all of it adds to the picture that the behaviour isn't really appropriate in the House of Commons. Some of it could be put down to drink. So there's lots of stories that MPs have talked about when people just get too drunk. One MP was saying she heard very noisy sex from the next door room from another MP. Um, oh, wow. That's late at night, but... But again, not the sort of thing you should be not, doing in your office. I, well, and certainly not where you're making laws either. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary what happens. Another minister who went round licking boys' faces. They're corroborated by several other MPs. So they obviously happen and people know them and they're not... They're not apocryphal, but they are anecdotal, and it adds up to this sense that it's a very febrile, sexist environment. When you began, and there weren't many women doing what you were doing, did you ever feel uncomfortable? The first time was about 25 years ago, 30 years ago. I was working for The Times and I was junior. And they asked if I'd like to go and be a political correspondent because they had an opening and I would be the most junior. And I went and it was just Rachel Sylvester for The Daily Telegraph and me. And you had to have a lunching partner with another journalist. And they were all male and we didn't find any other ones. So we ended up lunching together. When you say a lunching partner... Well, you, ha you had to go and have lunch with ministers. And I remember the lunches where I would feel nervous. And I almost always had lunch with Rachel Sylvester. If you had lunch on your own, it was harder. And there was one MP who did put his hand on my knee and one who put his hand between my legs. And I actually genuinely thought I was quite lucky because I'd got away quite lightly. And, and looking back, that was atrocious. Wow. And if you ever got a story, it was always considered that you must have got it in some, you know, using your feminine wiles, as they would say. They, they, they could never quite believe that any women would get stories. So they were always worried about how you'd got them. That sounds like a horrendous way to work. Well, I don't think at the time I thought it was. I remember there was a lot of time spent in the bars. I actually took up running and started doing marathon running because they talked about sports so much that it was a way of getting on with them. But... It was just a very different world and, and 
you know, you have lifts that are for the MPs and lifts that are for staff and... There is a real separation. You know, there is a sense, I suppose, when you're in there. I found that when I first walked around that MPs have so many special privileges in certain parts of the building they can be in that nobody else can that I imagine if you walk in as an MP, it probably gives you a real sense of being special, of being important. Yes, and I think it may be very like boys' public schools. So I think that's probably in a way, what it was based on. So there's that sense of the tea rooms and the jostling and the joking, the very laddie culture and the late Mm. nights. And it all added up to somewhere that felt very different, which in a way is a good thing because it is the seat of power. But in a way, I think it was so antiquated, even 30 years ago. And it hasn't changed that much. And it's like the asbestos and the, you know, rats that we hear running around. It's just, it's almost too outdated now, I think. When you started, there weren't many female MPs, but also the rules of the house. I mean, you've talked a bit about the the tea rooms and the bars, but the rules of the house must have made it very hard to be a female MP and still have a a family life, you know. I think for many it was almost impossible because they didn't have creches. The the hours were even later then. They were just sort of three, four in the morning sometimes. But they did stick together and... Mm. You had Shirley Williams, who was very kind to women, and she was fantastic. And she told me one great anecdote when I said I was finding it overwhelming when I was about 24. She took me aside and said, when I first became an MP, there were very few women. She said, and we used to get our bottoms patted when we went in to vote. Oh, God. And she said she found it really unnerving until they all decided to get together and wear very high heels, which is very un-Shirley Williams. And she said they decided that they would stamp on the man's foot very hard and then smile. (laughs) And they did. And the next day, one of the men came limping into the tea room and they all rushed up to him and said, you poor man. (laughs) But they knew they'd got their culprit. That's very, that's a very good tip. There was a very interesting piece in the Sunday Times the other day um, by Charlotte Ivers about the fact that it is about the power differential. And I remember sort of, I, when I was at university, lots of politicians would come up and because you were at university, I think they just thought it was a different world and they could do whatever they wanted to. And they would be unbelievably sleazy, just sort of unashamedly, because they thought it wouldn't get back to London. And then when I first worked in Westminster in London, they were a little bit a little bit more careful, but still pretty wild if they thought you were a junior researcher. And, then, and when you get to my age, they're like... Well, when, when they realise that you might print something about them, everything changes. Yes, and I think Charlotte's piece was really instructive. And I read it and thought, not much has changed. That's what I felt. I felt, I thought perhaps because I'd got older, it probably has changed, but it's not because they're not still doing it. So we do have to keep fighting, I think. Coming up, we hear from the political correspondent and Sunday Times columnist Charlotte Ivers about what has and hasn't changed in Westminster in the last few years. But first, a message from a colleague. I'm Matt Lawton and I'm the Chief Sports Correspondent at The Times. As sports journalists, it's important that we look beyond what we're seeing on the pitch, look beyond the action and hold those in power to account. It's essential that we scrutinise, we ask tough questions, we investigate areas where we may believe there's corruption. We can only ask those questions, we can only pursue those kind of stories, thanks to the subscribers at The Times and The Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Charlotte, thanks so much for doing this. No worries at all. You must be having like the maddest 24 hours. Aren't you working all through the night? <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, it's going to be terrible. So might as well start early and it <laughs> continue to be terrible. So. I'm Charlotte Ivers. I'm Times Radio's political correspondent and I'm also a columnist for the Sunday Times. Charlotte, you spend a lot of your time in Westminster watching goings-on in, in the village it did feel like a few years ago, back in 2017, there was a moment where, you know, there was an international movement, really, calling for people to be held to account for sexual harassment, the whole Me Too movement. Tell us, how did that play out in Westminster? Well, Westminster came slightly late to the Me Too movement that, as you say, echoed across the world. And there was this headline in the sun. I remember it really strongly. It just said, Pestminster. And it didn't have anybody named in it, as far as I can remember. It did, however, have a series of allegations about things that were going on behind the scenes and that a lot of people weren't behaving properly at all. And from there, it just became a frenzy, really. That front page really did rock Westminster. And there was just this spiral effect of all these different cases of inappropriate behaviour by MPs. So you had allegations all over the place, lots of ones that didn't come to light. But there was a couple of weeks or so where it felt like every single day there was something new in the newspaper. There was a spreadsheet that was going around for a while too. Yes, this was rather an odd one. It was a big spreadsheet. This is what's really set the cat among the pigeons. A list drawn up by Conservative researchers naming MPs accused of harassing staff and colleagues. I've got a copy of the unredacted list. Exactly half of those on it are serving ministers. It had everything in it from consensual relationships between MPs that weren't particularly public. Then you had some allegations of really quite grim things, things that are actually illegal that were next to some people's names. And then some people's names just had things 
that said creepy behavior or something like that, which of course could mean pretty much anything from looks at you a bit weird in the pub to this person is a criminal. So that ended up, I would say, being largely discredited in a lot of parts, but it did add to this broader atmosphere and this broader sense that this was everywhere. And when this moment happened, when it was suddenly very public and everybody was talking about it, what came of that? Did anything actually change? There were some changes after this. So it's probably worth me telling you what things looked like before in terms of HR structures. And to a certain Mm. extent, this is still true, but it was a lot, a lot more free and easy before this reckoning happened. So the way that employment and parliament works for people who are employed by MPs is every MP has their own little office and that is their kingdom. They can do what they want within that office. They hire, they fire, they give your performance reviews. They are judge, jury and executioner of your job. Before this moment took place, that was pretty much it. If your MP was in some way causing problems for you employment-wise, be that sexual harassment or bullying or anything else, the only person you could really complain to was the MP themselves. So that clearly was leading to a lot of problems. After this happened, there was a new system set up. You're still employed by your MP. They still choose if you're hired, hired and fired. They still line manage you. But there is now this thing called the Independent Complaints and Grievances Scheme. And essentially, that means that if you have a problem with your MP of any sort, you can then go to this external body, register your complaint, and they will arbitrate on it independently. Whereas previously, of course, it would just have been a dispute between you and your MP. So that's been going for a few years now. There have been a fair few cases referred to it, 43 in the last three years have been investigated. So it is a big step up from where things used to be in Parliament. Is is it doing enough? Is it working? It is definitely working better than it used to. There are a lot of criticisms of it. A lot of staff will say that this is a slow procedure. They will say that this is something that is quite difficult to navigate. But there is no doubt that this is a significant improvement on the structures that were there before. And given that in the last few weeks, you know, we've had a number of other scandals which seem to imply there is still a problem, um, you know, are are people pushing for, for the system to be stricter, for things to change? They certainly are. We've heard from the speaker, Lindsay Hoyle. He was in the Sunday Times at the weekend, spoke to various different newspapers over the weekend. And he has been calling for a complete rethink of how employment structures work within Parliament. He wants to see a system or at least to look into a system whereby you aren't actually employed by your MP. There's some sort of central pool of people who are qualified for the job of working for an MP and then the MPs pick them out of there and then they are managed by a central HR system. This is something that is immensely controversial among MPs. MPs really like having control of who they employ. They say it's really important they can trust these people personally, because of course they're dealing with sensitive casework issues from constituents, but also because of course there's a political element of this. MP staff aren't technically political appointments, but clearly they tend to need to have some sort of sympathy with the MP's political aims. Otherwise, it'd just be quite odd having someone in your office who sees everything you do, who has Mm. no sympathy with the reason you are in that office in the first place. But at the same time, wouldn't 
and this is going to sound so odd, you know, in this day and age to even sort of have to argue about this, but wouldn't an HR department in Parliament just be a very sensible thing? Well, it is something that people are calling for. And there sort of is an HR department. There is a department which does a lot of the things that HR do. So you've got this complaint system. You've also got various different training sessions for MPs. Many of them aren't compulsory. In fact, I'm pretty certain all of them aren't compulsory in terms of dealing with people not bullying, not sexually harassing people. So there are some HR mechanisms, but there is not a big, powerful HR department like you would see in, I don't know, a big accountancy firm or something like that. And Charlotte, it does feel like these scandals come around much too often at the moment, but what's the reaction been to this one in in Westminster? There have been mixed responses in Westminster to this. To be honest, the main one is just exhaustion. A lot of MPs have been saying to me, look, we've been here before, this all feels familiar, this is all really depressing. In terms of some of the positions being taken publicly, the government's view is very much there is not a cultural or structural problem here. Is the Commons a safe place for women to work? I think it is. I mean, I think we've got to distinguish between some bad apples, uh, people who behave badly, and the uh, the general environment. That is the line that has been held by pretty much every government minister who has been out and about recently on broadcast media. Then you've got someone like Caroline Noakes. Good afternoon, Caroline. Hi, Kathy. Do you agree with Harriet Harman that if Neil Parrish knows these allegations to be true, he should resign immediately as an MP? Well, I think uh, what we need to do is see what the Standards Commissioner says, but that investigation needs to be swift. And Harris is right in saying we need to have a zero-tolerance attitude towards some of the, frankly, misogynistic and unpleasant cultures that have been allowed to prevail in Parliament for far too long. She says there's something about Westminster that creates a culture of lack of respect. And she points to numerous experiences she has had over her long time in Parliament and that Mm. other people have had as well. We've also got people like Jess Phillips, the Shadow Minister for Domestic Violence. I have been asked this week over and over again, is it a toxic environment for women? And the answer is no. She says she doesn't like that because that gives the idea there's nothing to be done about it. It's just something that happens. The reason that somebody thought it was okay to watch porn in the chamber is because of the late nights and the drinking and the culture in Westminster. Utter rubbish. The reason that person did that is because... For want of a better word, they're an arsehole and they should take personal responsibility for their behaviour. That's an individual choice. People need to be better as individuals. Alice, we've been talking about how the culture can feel toxic inside Parliament, but for female MPs, I mean, there are problems that they do face harassment outside too, don't they? The other side of the equation is that they are really harassed and bullied online. And now when I interview particularly female MPs, and the men will say this about the female MPs too, that they have the most extraordinary lives where they some of them like Jess Phillips has about nine locks on her door because she's been threatened so often she had 60 threats of rape in one day online that they are vilified and 
heckled. And I remember Anna Subri saying to me that she could, and she's a Tory MP um, who was here until the last election. She always wore flat shoes when she was on the tube because she was terrified she was going to be pushed over the edge. Oh. And God. you heard these increasingly extraordinary stories, and many of them did end up leaving. So not only are they having to tackle with what's happening within Westminster, they were tackling with a lot of online abuse too. And Alice, going back to where we started, to that afternoon in the chamber where some Conservative MPs watched one of their colleagues watching porn on the benches in front of them. I mean, talk us through what's actually unfolded with Neil Parrish since then. So I actually come from Neil Parrish's constituency, (laughs) Tilton-Honiton. So he is my local MP down in Devon. And so I have met him a few times. And he, what was rather extraordinary is when he first heard the story, and we all heard the story, which was the middle of last week, that there was this Tory MP that had watched porn. He actually went on TV and talked about it and said, if they discover who it is, he will have to resign, without actually saying it could possibly be him. I think the Whips office will do a thorough investigation and we will wait and see that result. I mean, you are going to get people that step over the line. I don't think there's necessarily a a huge culture here, but I think it does have to be dealt with and dealt with seriously. And I think, you know, that's what um, the Whips will do. He feigned outrage. Either he feigned outrage or he didn't really remember that he'd done it. I'm not sure which is worse. (laughs) But then he went out and talked to the press and he then realised that he had to resign. But I'm not sure how apologetic he felt about it. Mm. I think he felt, well, I've been caught. He said, I I may have inadvertently the first time watched porn, but the second time, yes, I was about to vote. And I I admit I was watching it. And that seemed even more bizarre to me, that you could be standing around ready to vote with all your colleagues around you. You weren't thinking, how is this bill going to affect the country? Which way should I be voting? You were thinking, oh, can I quickly get in a bit of porn? I mean, that, that seemed rather astonishing to me. And Charlotte, for all of us watching, the real problem, you know, is, is we know that this does happen in a lot of workplaces, but it does feel like we hear far more stories coming out of, out of Westminster. It does begin to feel like it's something cultural but also it's just the fact of where it's coming out of it's the fact that it is parliament it's where the laws of of, of the land are, are made it's it's the, the place we all look to for for guidance on how to live our lives effectively they're the ones who set legislation that defines the boundaries in which we all operate and then to watch them squandering the rules like that is incredibly frustrating i mean for you as somebody who reports on it all, all, all the time. How does that feel? We should note that this is not all MPs by any stretch of the imagination. This is a small minority. But the big thing about Westminster, big thing about MPs' offices specifically, is that this is quite often a place where people come for help. And often it's people for whom every other arm of the state has failed. And so they end up writing to their MP. And the people in that position, are in such a vulnerable position, they need to know, firstly, that that MP they are contacting is someone who is safe for them. But secondly, as well, that the people who actually deal with the problem that they have brought to them 
are not being distracted by some horrible office or workplace environment that they mm. can turn their full attention to these people who are in this situation. We often, I often, I'm very guilty of forgetting that MPs have power because there are 650 of them. And frankly, they are ranging in their abilities and in their competence. And you can often think that this is all just a bunch of people bumbling around, but they have more power than any of the rest of us. And they are paid a lot of money to wield that power. And as a result of that, I, I do think there are standards that they need to be held to. The standards you'd be held to in any workplace, yes, but also perhaps beyond that. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Times columnist Alice Thompson and political correspondent for Times Radio, Charlotte Ivers. You can read more of their work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The episode today was produced by Taryn Siegel and Katie Tarrant. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely weekend. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.